Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. Remember me. That's Brandon BK Kiley. You remember him. This is Before the Box Score. Remember us? Yeah. Your friendly neighborhood Missouri football podcast. First show of the 2022 season. Um, if Levi did his job correctly, you heard a new song. We are refreshed and rested after three weeks off, and we got a lot to catch up on. So, BK, how are you doing, and how refreshed and rested are you currently? I'm fantastic. Never been better. Uh, it's great to be on with one of my good pals, Nate Edwards, once again, talking Mizzou football. Uh, it has been a nice little break, a reprieve. I've had lots of time to write about all of the different additions that Mizzou has made to the roster. So that's been fun. If you missed any of that, check it out on the flagship, rockmnation.com. Um, but I am doing fantastic, my friend. How was your hibernation period? <laughs> hibernation was good, yes. Um, it's it's. I love college football, and I love the football team that plays for the University of Missouri. But sometimes you just got to step back, take some time for yourself so that you can reappreciate it again. Right. You can't you can't miss something if it's never gone. Uh, so you got to you got to step away. Make sure you get you get that want back. Right. And you're like, Oh, I remember when we did that. So it was nice to 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 just take a step back and, and write one one article a week and just enjoy being a person. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to be diving back into it. If you all remember, this is the off season, So we go every other week. You'll get us now, and then we'll take another little mini nap next week, and then we'll come back the week after that. So you can expect us back in your pod, podcast feed every other week. And then once we get into football season, we will start going back to the <laughs> the two shows a week um, and, and getting back to that drag. But that is way, way in the future with a team that will be, assumingly, uh, completed its construction and ready to take the field. What we're going to be doing is we're going to talk about what happened to create that roster that's going to take the field in 2022. This is a roster math heavy show. Um, so I hope you like that sort of stuff. I, based off of our views and our clicks, I know that most of you do. Uh, and like BK said, there are some articles on this, but we're going to be taking a little bit further, a little deeper dive, some things that you're not reading, uh, just kind of off the top of our heads and things that we didn't add into our articles. So yay, you get a little extra because you're such a good podcast listener. BK, let's start with the negative. Let's talk about the subtractions from the roster. And since we spoke, we've had four guys um, who we anticipated slash could be on the roster for 2022 that are not going to be on the roster for 2022. Let's start with the first one. Sean Robinson, former quarterback from TCU, former safety for Missouri. Uh, Sean is transferring away. He has one season left if he wanted to take it. He didn't want to take it. He wanted to go somewhere else. So one thing that Missouri has a lot of is safeties. And Sean played safety uh, as a converted quarterback. He played admirably. He played a lot this past year and in 2020 towards the end. 
but he was always going to be more of a depth piece than like an impact safety. I think he started to see that uh, as we brought in Isaac Thompson, as the younger guys start getting older uh, and he just wanted to finish it somewhere else. So he is gone. Any massive thoughts, important thoughts on this, or is this like, ah, thanks for your service and uh, good luck elsewhere. Yeah, I think the latter. Um, this is a situation where you had a guy who clearly saw the writing on the ball on the wall. Rather, you've got Carlisle and Manuel, who are the two main safeties that are going to be back next year. They bring in Charleston from Clemson and you're probably seeing that and you're like, oh, they just upgraded from me. And let's be honest, that's kind of the reality of the situation. That's exactly what they decided mm -hmm. to do. So if I was him, I would be looking for another opportunity as well. I'm also very curious just to find out, like, is he going to be recruited elsewhere as a quarterback? Does he just want to play one more year as a quarterback somewhere else? Because well, he sure. probably could. Like, he's he's not good enough to do it at Mizzou at a starting level. But if he just wanted to play quarterback one more year of the final year of him playing football, probably, I'm sure he could do it somewhere if he wanted to. So... I don't blame him for going anywhere else. Uh, he was such an awesome story and such a fantastic teammate at Mizzou. But as you go into now, he played about 280 snaps in 2021. I, I think you can upgrade from the snaps at safety. And that's just talking about it purely from a football perspective. They're going to miss him in that locker room, though, because he was a good teammate that everybody seems to like and respect. And the way that he handled the whole quarterback battle in 2020 and then the fact that he was just more than happy to transition to the defensive side of the ball and stayed at Mizzou afterwards, man, that is so unbelievably mm -hmm. rare in today's marketplace, I guess you can call it. So I got nothing but respect. He's up elsewhere and has success wherever he goes. 23 tackles, three tackles for loss. The funniest sack I think I've ever seen. Uh, that was against Central Michigan. He blitzed right up the middle and the central Michigan quarterback just like was shocked that he was there and fell over. And Sean just looked like he was having the greatest time. I remember actually in the post game, he said sacking the quarterback is a better feeling mm. than any touchdown I've run or throw for hands down. And I'm just like, that, that is so cool <laughs> that you get to do both. Um, so yeah, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't bringing any kind of dynamic playmaking ability to the field. He was just a dynamic teammate. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, Whatever team ends up with him is going to get a great person and a pretty good football player. I And that, you bring that up. I am curious if he's going to play a quarterback. Um, so we'll see what he does there. But uh, he will not be playing for Missouri uh, in 2022. Now we get to the one that really just makes me so upset. Irrationally upset. Mikai Wingo. The defensive tackle out of Dismet High School in St. Louis. Transferred away. He's gone. He's at LSU. Why is he at LSU? Well, I think I said this on Twitter. When you have the opportunity to leave your home state school to play for your high school coach and uh, who doesn't coach your position, well, you just got to take it. You got to take that opportunity. Uh, and so that's what Mekhi Wingo did. Robert Steeples, former Missouri defensive back, Missouri and Memphis defensive back, uh, used to be the coach at DeSmet, and he was hired by Brian Kelly's staff to coach defensive backs. And for some reason, Mikai Wingo wanted to go play for LSU um, and, and just be around his old coach. Um, now, obviously that is not the 100% story because this is the era of NIL and uh, <clears throat> dude can get compensated pr probably pretty well at LSU. But this one hurts. This hurts me personally because A, he was one of my favorite defensive players. 
B, he was from St. Louis, Missouri. And C, he was a freshman. He had an entire four years, three, four years to grow and dominate as a Missouri defensive tackle. And now he is going to do it for the Ron Color of Tiger. Uh, BK, are you as upset as I am about this, this development? Yes and no. Uh, probably less so just because Mizzou also replaced him with a guy that I think is going to be really good in Jaden Jernigan and is almost exactly the same type of player. So, like, we'll get to him, but one for one, they were able to kind of replace what they were going to get next year. It would have been nice to have both, though. Like, <laughs> if you could have two war daddies up front on the defensive line, that's better than one. Uh, but what sucks is that you put all of this time and effort into recruiting a guy who was considered by most of the big-time schools to be undersized. And you were able to get him at Mizzou. He was able to have a ton of success and become an all-SEC first-team team for the freshman this year in the conference at your school. And then after the season, he's like, yeah, deuces. I'm going to go elsewhere where it's bigger and better, and I'm going to be an awesome player there as well. And it's like, wait, but we put all these resources into A, recruiting you, B, developing you, and C, putting you into a position to succeed. And we believe that we were going to build our defense around you. And that's just not how it works anymore, unfortunately. And college football, the landscape has completely changed. He was a starter. Like It's not like he's going elsewhere for more playing time. He's not going to get more playing time anywhere else than he was at Mizzou. I think what you're seeing is he viewed it as a better opportunity elsewhere. I do think that a big portion of this is what you said with him going to play for his former high school coach. I also think some of it is just he wanted to go play for a bigger school. Like, I... I think he just saw LSU and was like, damn, I get an opportunity to play at LSU. And this is not a shot at Mizzou. Like, I'm a Mizzou guy. This is my school. I went there. That, that's my program, right? But, I mean, think about this. When when we think of if you were a high school recruit, what are the five visits that you would use as your officials, right? <laughs> yeah. For a lot of us, you wouldn't use one to Mizzou. You would go to USC or Miami or Washington or where Texas, wherever, right? You'd go to the big blue blood programs. LSU might not be quite at that level, but it's pretty darn close. And when you get an offer from a program like that and the opportunity to go play in Death Valley, I, I think for a lot of kids, that's just something that is so appealing that you almost feel bad and like you can't give up that opportunity. And I think there is some of that in this situation where he's just like, so my high school coach is there. I'm comfortable with him. It's not like I won't have the same impact there that I had at Mizzou and I get to do it for a bigger, in his opinion, program. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. It's just, yeah, like you said, this is how it is now. Luckily, Missouri, kind of just by the nature of being in the SEC, is probably going to be less prone to being a victim for this sort of thing than other programs, especially, you know, like an FCS or, or a G5 team, or even, you know, a Pac-12 or or a Big 12 team. Uh, when you are in the SEC, you're, you are playing against the best of the best. So that is one of the perks of Missouri being in the conference that they are in is that, Hey, guess what? You can't, there's not as many places to go to get a better competition, right? This is, this is basically it. You're going to lose guys who see, you know, Missouri is like, okay, well, it, I, it's not helping me get to the league or I hate losing a bunch of games. Like it, that it's, it's a narrower uh, field of reasons to leave than if you were, you know, a mid tier program. And like I said, the PAC 12, so there is a benefit to that. I don't foresee Missouri losing as many guys as peer programs in, in different conferences. That being said, uh, yeah, this sort of thing can and will happen. 
Uh, just as much as Missouri will do this to other programs, it will absolutely be done to them. Uh, and, you know, there's also something to be said of like, look, I've lived in Missouri my entire life. I want to go somewhere else. Um, you know, fine. You know, this is college years are your years to do that. Um, or right out of college. When, when you have the fewest things holding you down, uh, that's the time when you want to go out and kind of explore the world. And maybe that was part of it too. I don't know. Um, but yet, like you said, Missouri fought tooth, tooth and nail to get Mikai Wingo on campus. They got him on campus. He rocked from game one and now he's gone. And that sucks. Um, yes, we got Jaden Jernigan in the transfer in. Yes, Marquise Graciel and uh, you know, Jalen Marshall are going to be stepping into. So like, it's not like he's a 100% irreplaceable player. I just, I, uh, I, I admitted this to you and I'm just going to admit it out loud. I, I am just way more sentimental and have way more stock in the guys that the staff recruits as high schoolers. I am going to want them to succeed way more than any transfer or Juco player coming in. And that's something that I need to personally get over with because that is a product of growing up when I did watching college football when I did, when that's, it's just, it's just not going to be the case anymore. And I, I need to get over that. Yeah. And it's just not as fun to do it this way. Like, let's just be honest about it, man. Like the, I, the teams that you probably remember the most fondly are the teams where you got to watch those guys grow up right before your very eyes. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. some, some of what made 2013 so special is that you got to watch a lot of those guys, most of them, grow through that 2012 season. And so you watched them at what is probably their worst. I think most of them would tell you that. Mm-hmm. And then you got to see them at their best, especially that offensive line. And that's what made them all so damn lovable is okay they were all thrust into a situation where some of them were playing out of position many of them were completely unprepared for the opportunity that was in front of them and they made the most of it and by year two or three as starters i mean they were freaking awesome rock stars up front and that's what made it so so exciting it's just not what it was what it is now and it's becoming more like college basketball and college basketball has been going down this path for five seven maybe ten years where you have a team that you put together for one year. And if you're really, really good, the chances are it's going to be completely different the following year because guys are going to go to the NBA. Some of them are going to transfer and some of them are just going to regress or they're going to be in a different role where they're not as good in that role as they were as like a fifth player. Now they're going to be the third option and they don't succeed quite as much because opposing teams are circling them on the game uh, game plan. So for a million different reasons, it makes it less enjoyable for fans. And that is super selfish to say, but it is honest. Like it's just not as much fun to go about it this way, but it's the way that it is. And I think high or college coaches are having to adjust and we as fans are going to have to adjust eventually. Absolutely. I agree. Now some interesting kind of sad news, uh, Nico Hay, who was uh, the leading receiver among uh, Missouri tight ends, uh, had to medically retire um, a couple of weeks ago. Nothing was really given as to what the condition was. Obviously, none of our business. But Nico uh, was going to be the most experienced tight end in the room uh, in 2022. Uh, and now he's gone. So he joins Daniel Parker Jr., who transferred out. Messiah Swinson, who transferred out. And now it's Nico Hay. So that is every tight end who caught a pass in 2021. Uh, the three most highly used tight ends of 2021. And, you know, Again, kind of from a selfish standpoint, we needed Nico to be there to kind of be a a leading role, a leading voice in the tight end room. 
Um, but he is not medically able to continue to play. So I hope he you know gets better and he can move on. Um, but that is that is a hit to the fledgling tight end passing game that Missouri is trying to been put together in the past two years. Uh, he finishes his career with uh, 51 targets, 35 catches for 305 yards and four touchdowns. So, BK, th- I know this was kind of a uh, it was certainly a surprise for most people. Um, what is the impact other than just experience uh, that his absence is going to have as we go forward here? So here's the thing. They've got a special player at the tight end position right now in Ryan Horsecamp. They do. And as a result of that, I'm not worried about any of this. It's fine. They just, they all saw what was coming. They knew none of them were going to be able to see the fields anymore. And so they got out of the way because Ryan Horsecamp <laughs> was going to take all of the snaps for Missouri's tight ends next year. Yeah. And nobody can stop him. Nobody can yeah. stop him. He's just, you can only hope to contain the horse. In all seriousness, this stinks because Nico Hay was a really solid player. I wouldn't say he was spectacular, but he was really solid. And you kind of knew exactly what he was and what he wasn't. And as a result, I kind of enjoyed watching Nico Hay. He was fun because I, I knew like once a game they were going to give him that pitch up the middle. And mm-hmm. it was probably going to go for five yards. And especially when they got into first and goal type of situations, there's a pretty good chance Nico Hay is going to get the ball in the middle of the field. And more often than not, it seemed to work. So that being said, he's not an irreplaceable player. No. And as a result of that, I do think like, can Ryan Horsecamp, I know I've got my bit with him, but in all seriousness, can Ryan Horsecamp do everything that Nico Hay did last year for you? I think the answer is probably yes. Can Max Wisner replace a lot of what Daniel Parker Jr. did for you in the running game? I think the answer might be yes on that as well. I've seen a lot of people panicking about where Missouri's at with their tight ends because they only have three of them on the roster. I think they're just going to play with more receivers on the field next year. Like You're kind of loaded at that position. You only have a few tight ends. Would you like to add another? Yeah, and they're going to. Like, this is not going to be where they're at whenever they take the field for the first time. They'll add somebody via the transfer portal, whether it's now or at the end of spring football. But you've got Barrett Bannister, Dominic Lovett, Towski Dove, uh, Mookie Cooper, J.J. Hester, Chance Looper, Luther Burden, Jamarian Wayne. That's eight different receivers that I legitimately think are going to see the field next year. Just play four wide. Like, this doesn't have to be that hard. You play four wide, you have a spread running game, and you change up the offense a little bit based on your personnel. Good coaches will do that, and I think that's what we're going to see. Certainly hope so. Um, I have no problem with the four wide, you know, or just, you know, I don't think you need to carry five tight ends. That always was really weird to me, especially since only one was on the field at a time, maybe two in short yardage situations. Like, it, there were too many in the past two years. I think three is a good number. I'm not freaking out about it. My only freak out is just they've all had one year of experience and only one of those guys was on the field. Um, but, you know, yeah, but tight end. He is. You got to let that horse run, baby. That beautiful stallion's got to right. see the field. Let him go. Right? Ahead. Like, he's he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And Max Wisner's a giant. Uh, my my tight end post-mortem piece came out today. Dude's 6'6", 240. Now, obviously, Dude, I, I'm telling you, I, I think he, I, I'm serious when I say, like, he could just fit into the role. And I don't know if he's ready to do this from a blocking perspective. I'm not going to pretend like I've watched him on a down in down out basis, but it's not in out of play that he could just step in and immediately take on that Daniel Parker jr. Role. I could see it. You know, he's, he's just a big dude. Uh, he was not much of, of a passing threat in high school. He was more of a blocker. 
and you know, obviously heights and weights are a little bit inflated at the high school level, but like, even if even if he's two inches shorter and 20 pounds lighter, that's still a big dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I, I do think he can, he is going to see the field in some capacity. Uh, Gavin McKay obviously was, is more of a receiving threat and Ryan Horskamp is, you know, just waiting to put those three Heismans on a shelf at any moment now. But like, I, I'm not three. worried. About, well, we only got three more years left, man. You know? Uh, so I'm not worried about like, Oh, well we don't have enough. I mean, the, the Drinkwitz offense likes to use blocking tight ends. Um, but yes, it should any coach offensive coordinator worth his salt should adapt his offensive system to, uh, to the personnel around him. You know, you always hear it's the, whatever your stance it's the X's and O's versus the Jimmy's and Joe's, right? It's, it's not so much one or the other. It's that the Jimmy's and Joe's should dictate the X's and O's. And if you've got some freaking ballers on the outside for a receiver, no, you shouldn't be putting two tight ends on the field and running it up the middle. No, 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 no. Uh, so this is going to be a very telling statement for, uh, for drink offense. Uh, does he tailor it to the personnel that he has? And the answer should be yes. Cause he's got some awesome dudes, but yeah, the, the tight ends are going to be exciting because you're not exactly sure what they're going to bring to the field, but they're super young and they can stick around for a long time. So this is, it, it sucks for Nico Hay and I wish him well, but it does clear up a free path for three talented dudes to see the field. And I am, I'm very, I am legitimately very excited about our tight end prospects. Yeah. Also, this just forces Drinkwitz to play the young guys <laughs> like, at some Which, of the other positions. Yeah. He's been very hesitant to do so. And like, I, I really do believe in the talent of horse camp and I, Wisner Wisner. I, I think it's Wisner. I'm not positive on that. Um, so I, if I'm high on those guys and think that both can play like do at that position, what you did last year, a defensive tackle and just immediately recognize, Oh, our best dude is a young guy. We're just going to play him from start to finish this year. That has not been their MO on offense. It has been at some spots on the defensive side of the ball. So just mm-hmm. continue doing that. Play your young guys, see your best guys, get the opportunities, and let's see what it does. Absolutely. The last uh, loss, at least for now, was uh, Boo Smith. Not not a retirement, um, not a transfer. Um, he's going to the NFL. NFL draft entry, Boo Smith. So you go, okay, uh, well, uh, what, what, what did he do at Mizzou? Well, I, I can tell you. In two seasons, he played 15 games, 20 targets, 16 catches, which is an 80% catch rate, 195 yards, or sorry, 260 yards. 195 of those came this past year. Dude has a 72% catch rate. He averages 24 yards per catch, but could only get targeted 20 times in two years. So, like, I get it. He has a very specific skill set that I think NFL offenses would appreciate. And for whatever reason, he could see enough of the field to be tantalizing, but not enough of the field to be an impact. Uh, probably because he's uh, six foot one fifty and not the best run blocker. Uh, but he's gonna have a shot with an NFL team, and I don't know. I think he could probably make a practice squad. What do you think? Maybe. Um, he the, the hundred and fifty pounds is gonna be tough for him. It is. That's it is, yeah. uh, it's it's real, real, real slight. I do think that he's got a chance. He's gonna have to show out somewhere as a returner. That that's gonna be the way uh, that he makes a yeah. roster. Like he's he's got to be a stud special teamer. If he can do that, maybe he'll get an opportunity. His speed is the a trump card, though. You know, he's if he tests really well, I don't know what he's gonna run. He's, I mean, we all know he's unbelievably fast, but is he like four three fast? 
Is he 4-4 fast? Where's he at on the range of really fast guys? Because that's the way that he'll get himself noticed. His numbers just aren't that of a player where somebody's going to be like, oh, got to turn on that Boo Smith tape at Mizzou. (laughs) Uh, Take two minutes to watch. (laughs) Exactly. You can watch the entire highlight reel in two minutes. But I I think that he's got a chance if he's able to show out in the 40-yard dash and that catches some eyes and then ends up being able to latch on with somebody and is just a star as a returner. Those those are going to be the things that he needs. I don't think he probably makes a roster, but good for him. And I am actually legitimately sad to see him go because he had a role on this team and I was hoping to see more of it. Same, same. I, I don't think he, I don't think 2022 would have magically been his year where he starts to see that. But again, you saw just, just whispers of awesomeness. And you're like, Oh, if you could just put that together, man. Uh, but not, not, he's not going to do that possibly at the NFL level. We will see. So let's let's move away from the losses. Let's talk about who's coming in. Let's talk about the guys who want to be here, who want to play for this team. We've gotten some additions since we last chatted with you guys. Let's go in chronological order of when they uh, when they committed. We're gonna start on the offensive line. Some dude named Vince Polgar, who is either Buffalo's starting center or a Jedi Knight of the Old Republic. I haven't quite decided which one it is. Uh, but apparently he's going to be, uh, well, he's probably going to be the odds on favor to be Missouri's starting center uh, in 2022. Not highly regarded uh, product from a Wayne Hills High School in New Jersey, but very, very similar to Mike Maietti, who just was a first team all SEC player and uh, will also probably get a shot in the NFL next year. I don't know how much tape you have watched of Ben's uh, BK. But I just see the same kind of tendencies that Mike Maietti had. He's not, Vince is a little bit taller. He's 6'3", but he's just as light, 288. I think uh, Maietti is around 290. They're not overwhelming with, like, force, but they are definitely, like, technicians uh, in the interior. Probably, you know, very smart with his his, uh, protection calling and really good technically with his feet and with his hips when he blocks. Uh, what was your initial reaction when you heard that he was transferring here? And what do you think he's going to be doing the next three years? Sweet. Sounds good. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> yeah. was kind of my reaction, like uh, a proven player that can uh, do it at a legit college level and obviously not a power five level just yet. But Mizzou needed that. They, they needed some depth along the offensive line, whether he ends up being a starter or depth piece, wherever he fits. He's a guy that is absolutely going to be useful for what they want to do. I kind of fit into the best five state of mind when it comes to the mm-hmm. offensive line like get your best best five guys out there and figure out where they end up fitting if connor tollison is your best center option next year he should start yeah if luke griffin is a best option at guard and that means moving one of your guards to center and they're fine with that uh, go with that connor wood should start at right tackle put him out there let's see what foster and white look like next year but you have now added enough talent to the offensive line that you're going to have options. And they just brought back Dylan Spencer. We can go ahead and add him into this conversation Uh, as well, if you want to, because they're both on the offensive line and Spencer through some of those weird times in 2020. And by the way, if people don't remember his story started at Mizzou, ended up actually starting a game at Mizzou as a true freshman in 2020. Yep. And decided to transfer he was apparently homesick went to jackson state i I don't believe ended up actually staying for the season didn't even go through fall practice 
decided to come back to Mizzou and randomly was like enrolled in classes with a surprise mm-hmm. to all of us. I'm assuming the coaches knew it was going to happen. And now he's back on the roster. So yeah. Dylan Spencer, who people were somewhat excited about as a true freshman back on the roster, he'll fit into the mix as well. So you, for the first time in like three years, have legitimate depth along the offensive line. And this was something Eli Drinkwitz has been putting as a huge focus over the last couple of years in recruiting. And finally, mm-hmm. it's starting to pay off in terms of what they actually have available on the roster. I mean, look, take a look. Well, if you're driving, don't do this. But take a look at the offensive linemen that are currently constructing this, this offensive line depth chart. There's like 17 guys and all but Foster, Delgado, and White. Ah, and Lawrence. Other than that, they're all Drinkwitz guys. Every single one of them. And it's, you know, this is kind of part of when a new coach comes in and kind of starts putting his guys in it. There's a little bit of uncomfortableness, like guys transferring out or, you know, surprise players not playing or surprise players do play. But the upgrade in talent is always what we're talking about from the Odom years to the Drinkwitz years. And not like potential talent, which is what Odom always liked, but like talent to play right here, right now. And from this staff that Drinkwitz has put together, he's got the majority of this offensive line are guys that they want. Guys that they have identified as, yes, you can come in, you can contribute, you can play right now. So yes, it creates a lot of depth. And we're not totally sure what they can do. We don't know what the what the high point is. But man, there is strength in options. And Missouri's got a ton of options right now, all legit. Obviously, maybe, probably not the freshman. But like even then, like you said, Dylan Spencer played a game. I think he started against South Carolina. Um, he had 139 snaps in his first season and he only, he was only around for like five games or something like that. So, um, yes, it's very exciting for the offensive line. I like the Ben's Polgar option just for, as an, you know, an option to play center. And I like Dylan Spencer to fill out the guard depth, but the interior offensive line has a bunch of dudes you can pick from the tackles are really talented at the top. And then just kind of a bunch of unknowns underneath that. But This offensive line could be really interesting, and I'm curious who gets kind of this second team reps as we go through, because like you said, there's just, there are a ton of options here. Yeah, I feel like we kind of have a pretty good idea of who will get the starting nods. Like, you're going to probably see at the beginning of camp, White and Foster outside with some combination of Delgado and the Wood will probably be your swing tackle. That's kind of where he was last year. I don't think he's going to be a guard. Maybe Delgado Wood and Griffin could all kind of work in there as your your yeah. three options at guard. I'm guessing they brought in Polgar for a reason. He's probably going to start out at center and you'll kind of see where it goes from there. But like you said, that's the top six or seven players that you've got. EJ and Doma Ogar is going to fit into that mix. Connor Tolleson, I truly believe, will fit into that mix at some point um, in the season. And then you brought in some guys in your freshman class that are super intriguing, including mm-hmm. Mimbu, who I don't think is ready to go right away, but is kind of an EJ and Doma Ogar in that he's huge and can just destroy people in the running game. And then Dylan Spencer, we'll see what he looks like whenever he gets back on campus and if he's able to fit into this mix. So they've got options, and that is not something we've been able to say about the O-line over the last, what, five years, really? So... It's, say, it's a yeah. much better place right now on the O-line than it has been at any point, maybe since like 2016 or 17. I was going to say, like, the last offensive line that you could go more than 
seven deep was probably 16 17 maybe um it's it's been a while and it's kind of been just a, a work in progress so I, I mean i'm not marcus johnson i'm not eli drinkwitz i don't see these guys practice but just kind of looking at who you're bringing in and what they've done prior either at the high school level or at other schools it's like man you got there is some talent here not like you know first team all-american talent but like a lot of similar talent you know you can plug it in you can roll nine maybe ten guys deep i don't know uh but it's very exciting to see that and, and i'm starting to feel a lot better about our offensive line last year they only played eight guys total seven of them were in rotation and that was only because case cook got injured five games in so um there didn't seem to be a whole lot of trust with the younger guys those younger guys are another year older another year bigger another year smarter so we will see how that shakes out. But uh, welcome to Missouri, Vince and Dylan. Then we got on the defensive side, you mentioned him prior, Jaden Jernigan. Uh, this was an interesting one. Oklahoma State last year was one of the best defenses in the country. They could rush the passer. They could stop the run. They could pick off the pass. They could. They're just the most disruptive defense in the country. And one of their rotational tackles, Jaden Jernigan, was looking for, I guess, some more playing time. And he's here. He's here and he's ready to go. He's got uh, this year and next year, I think. I think he's two years. Three years to play two, I think is what it is. Um, you actually did kind of a deeper dive. You watched his film. What did you What did you see uh, when you watched your tape of uh, on here? He's like a superstar player. I don't even know if I would put him at the Makai Wingo level, but probably right below that. Uh, if you remember early career Kobe Whiteside, where I was like, hey, this guy's really exciting and fun to watch and like kind of explosive. That's basically what you see out of Jaden Jernigan. He is a rocked up, like undersized type of a player in the interior, and he is disruptive. He doesn't have a ton of sack production, but he does get after the quarterback regularly with hits or hurries, stuff like that. So I think he's going to be a huge piece of this interior rotation. I'm really curious to see who fits in around him along the defensive line, because he's definitely going to start for you. I think Robinson will probably be next to him when you start the game. Who else gets reps at defensive tackle? I'm mm -hmm. not totally sure. I think Rialis George will get some because he's just kind of the big bowling ball type of dude that you'll put in there at the nose on rundowns. Kyron Montgomery, who was not available last year because of an injury, he came in listed as a defensive end. When I saw him on the field, he looks like a D tackle to me, so I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up kicking inside and ends up working into this rotation. And as you said, I think Marquis Gracio is going to be immediately inserted into the rotation. So I think that's probably the mix, how that ends up getting split up and divvied up in terms of the reps. That's going to be really interesting to me, but Jernigan is a guy that it sucks that you ended up losing Wingo to the transfer portal. I think Jernigan can replace a lot of what he was going to give you. He only got 212. Yeah, 212 snaps last year. That's crazy. Um, but like like I said, Oklahoma State was crazy deep on defense. Um, you know, that's that's to be expected. Uh, sorry, 330 snaps to his name. Um, still not a, not a ton. Um, but he was actually, you know, for a defensive tackle, again, you look for disruption. You're not looking for kind of the glory boy, glory boy sack numbers. That's mostly going to be for your ends. But 
Tackles need to bring pressure too. Pressure up the middle is kind of one of the most uncomfortable things a quarterback could see. And he was bringing pressure about, you know, six, six uh, percent of the, of his uh, rushes. He was able to pressure the quarterback up the middle, which is pretty good for a tackle um, two sacks out of it to his name. So again, it's a piece, it's a role piece. It's not something like you're, you're going to the portal and bringing in a Sheldon Richardson or something like that. You're bringing in a guy who's got some skills that you need to replace the skills that you lost. And like you said, even if it's not a one-to-one to Wingo, you needed a guy who was experienced and can do some of those bowling ball disruptive things. And uh, yeah, very excited to see this. I think he's going to fit in just fine. I don't know if he starts, but yeah, between him and George, uh, certainly a very similar skill set. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Defensive lines have kind of been a work in progress, and the tackles aren't super deep right now. But like, I like this move. This really gives some pretty good depth going into 22. It reminds me a little bit of Blaze Aldridge at linebacker last year, mm-hmm. where it's like, no, he's not going to be what you had in Nick Bolton. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. D- don't expect it to be that. Mm-hmm. But he can be pretty darn good. And he was productive, and that's kind of what I see with this move, where is Jernigan going to be what you hoped Makai Wingo could be in year two if he was able to build on what he was as a freshman? Maybe not, but I think he can be pretty darn good, and sometimes that's okay. Yeah. Well, we will. Uh, I'm sure he's going to see the field you know, in the first game, and we can see how he does. Uh, but then the the other – oh, God, we got two more. Gosh, I almost forgot. Let's, get, let's see on the defensive line. Um, we got a guy named Tyrone Hopper, a defensive lineman from North Carolina. This one plays in. Which one, Tyrone or Tyron? Okay, yeah, funny you should say that. Well, uh, <laughs> this is Tyrone. Uh, cousin Tyron is from Florida. This guy's from uh, went to North Carolina. I love the Tyrone Hopper story for this interesting little nugget. I think Gabe DeArmond put this on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it was him. If not, sorry. Um, the... A little piece of trivia here for Tyrone Hopper is that he had an offer from Gary Pinkle's Missouri team, and now he's going to be playing for Missouri in Eli Drinkwitz's third year. So he is a seventh year uh, graduate student, I guess is what you are when you've exhausted your red shirt and your COVID year. Um, he's on the doctor path. I don't know if he's going uh, <laughs> to, you know. English literature doctorate, maybe biology. I don't know, but like he can get it. Um, Hopper is an interesting guy. He's played seven years, but he didn't really get to start until 2020. And then he was injured in 2021, which is why he gets an extra year. BK, is this anything more than just a depth ad for the defensive ends? You remember um, Jacob Eason at Georgia? I do. Yeah. He was in the same recruiting class <laughs> as Hopper. Awesome. Awesome. Um, uh, Daniel Parker Jr., who just graduated, or yeah, graduated and is now going to Oklahoma as a grad transfer, was a sophomore in high school when Hopper ended up at North Carolina. So yeah, he's been in college for a minute. Um, he's fine. He is a depth piece. He can replace a little bit of what Hansford was for you as a, as a depth piece last year. I, I wouldn't expect to overtake your top defensive ends. Like you're not going into the season and being like, wow, this guy's going to really take away snaps from Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire. No, 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 no. This is insurance. 
it's insurance in case your young guys that are currently along the defensive line don't develop the way that you hope that they do. So right now, Missouri's got a bunch of dudes that they've brought in over the last years with Ford and Jones and Walker and Montgomery and the other Walker. And you brought in Wessel last year. If those guys are not ready to play now, you need somebody that can give you reliable snaps today. And Hopper can do that. He's going to be where he needs to be. He's going to make the plays more often than not that he needs to make. And he's just a reliable piece in that defense. And there's value in that. There's a reason why Chris Turner for four years was on the field despite having very little production. It's because the coaches trusted him. So I hope that he doesn't use or they don't use that trust and say he's going to play every snap, even if and when guys like Ford, Jones, Walker, Montgomery are ready to go. And maybe they have higher upside than Hopper. That is one thing that I would I would be disappointed by. But if they're just viewing this as, hey, he's going to come into fall camp and he's probably going to be listed as the number three defensive end. And if those other guys are better, they can beat him because there's really no like politics here. Hopper's going to be gone at the end of the year either way then that's fine. It's a good addition from that regard because it does give you a little bit of insurance for the young guys potentially not being ready. Yeah. It's a one-year rental, right? He's not going to be coming back for an eighth year. So yeah, Also, he can tell, help them with all of their financial concerns potentially after they get out of college because he's like 27. Sure, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's played the market. He he mows the yard. He's He's got kids and family. I don't know. Make this stuff up. I mean, he's like my age. He, he is a, uh, he might, it's like he went on a mission. It's like yeah. he's a Mormon player, you know, well, he got uh, 20, 26 year old sophomores. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. Isaiah McGuire has more stats in 2021 than Hopper has in his entire six years combined. So like, no, this is not some magical dynamic player, but you need guys who know what they are doing. You need kind of a, uh, you're a replacement level player to test everybody else against, right? When you're looking at, like you said, like a Wesselak or a Jones or a Ford, it's like, look, this is a guy who does everything right. Learn from him, be better than him. That's your challenge. If you can do that, then you get to play. If you don't do that, then he gets to play. Simple as that. So defensive end is a very deep position. It's also one of the youngest positions that we have on this team. So, it's nice to have a guy with experience who can kind of teach him how to teach him how to practice, teach him how to play um, from the, from a player standpoint. So that'll, that'll be nice there. And then lastly, as far as the additions so far was Mr. Drayden Norwood, a corner from uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. He played for Texas A&M last year. I say play loosely. He saw 22 snaps over two games and got a tackle uh, to his name. So not a whole lot. And also, Texas A&M just brought in uh, every five-star on the planet in this past recruiting cycle. They have five so blue-chip defensive saw the backs on the wall. this year. Five. Just absolute insanity. It, Texas A&M might have the greatest recruiting class of all time My God. when all is said and done. By far. By far. We'll still only win seven games, though, Jimbo. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. So, Drayden Norwood, total mystery. Uh, he was a three-star coming out of high school. Seems like a decent player. BK, I mean, we've been saying this by about almost every single transfer edition that we have, but that's kind of what you're doing. If you're losing a death piece, you got to replace it with a death piece. And that's that's kind of what Drayden Norwood yeah, he, is, right? This is a, a bet on talent. 
because they have no idea if he can play corner or not. Like nobody does because he, he really hasn't done it. He was a high school quarterback. He's really fast. He's really long. He's really rangy. And he might be able to transition to the cornerback position. Or he might be a guy that was a high school quarterback that had just never worked for him. Uh, according to 24-7 Sports, here's what they had to say about him as a prospect when he was coming out. Quote, lean athletic frame with good height and enough of a frame to add needed bulk going forward. He was a high school quarterback. He's going to be a project in college. He's got the agility and fluidity that he could translate to cornerback uh, with a long-term position move. He could provide personnel flexibility, might be able to play nickel or safety. They don't have verified testing numbers, but he did run a 100 meter time of 11.38, which is really good. So he's fast. Okay. He's long. He's like 6'1", I think. And he's a player mm -hmm. that comes in and you throw him into the mix with all of these other fast, long, somewhat interesting corners that you already have on the roster. Like <laughs> all of these dudes are kind of the same yeah. right now. DJ Jackson, Enos Rakestraw, Zaquan Reeves, uh, Sistrunk, Carnell, Norwood, Scott, who you brought in as a freshman. I mean, they're all like freshmen and sophomores basically right now. And they all kind of profile similarly, other than Carnell, who's a little bit bigger. And then Chris Abram Strain, who's exclusively going to play out of the slot. You throw them all into a blender and let's see who the best guys are. And they can end up being the ones that get all of the reps next year. I don't think Norwood's going to be involved in the rotation. But it's worth at least throwing an upside play here because if it does work out, it could be really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got three corner spots. So now you got eight guys to, to fill it in. And they're all some flavor of freshmen, I swear. We, we got, okay, so Ennis Rakestraw is still technically a redshirt freshman, which cracks me up. Um, but your freshmen, either redshirt or true, are Reeves, Carnell, Sistrunk, Scott, and now Norwood. And that's that's the majority of your corners. So this unit's going to be really good in two years. <laughs> uh, it could be really good fast right. if they find the right guys. I mean, obviously Jackson got playing time last year. Dre, Abrams Dre was great as a slot guy and a little bit of an outside guy. And, and his rake straw can show you know the, the potential that he showed in high school that got Alabama calling on him. Like, we should be okay. But much like the offensive line. There's a ton of options. If the guy that you're starting isn't cutting it, guess what? You got another 6'1 redshirt freshman that you could plug in. In a story. So it's good. It's good to have these options. And it's good that, yeah, every single one of these guys is a Drinkwitz guy. Every single one. So uh, you got your guys. Now figure it out. So that is the additions and the subtractions as of now. Keep in mind, we still got another recruiting day. Another signing day in February. And then, you know, guys can transfer pretty much whenever they want. And especially when you get through spring ball and you start figuring out, okay, this is kind of where I stand on the roster. Like, you're going to see some more transfers. Oh, we missed one. Both in and out. Who do we miss? Nathaniel Pete. Oh, damn. The new running back. How can I forget? How can I forget? A dude named Nathaniel who grew up in Columbia and wants to go to Missouri. By the way, I think he's my favorite of this group. <laughs> he's I would agree. He's really good, man. I watched him at Stanford. I, I went back and rewatched three games from his. Nathaniel Pete is like real good. He's an excellent kick returner. He's it's like he's listed at 5'10, but he looks kind of like Tyler Beatty. 
and he's got some surprisingly deceptive speed as mm -hmm. well. Like his top end speed's really good. I don't know that he's super quick, but he's got some pretty good high end speed. I, I think he could be really good for Mizzou, and I would be pretty stunned if he's not your starter going into next season. Like I think he, I think he came to Mizzou for a reason, and it was because he saw that there were a bunch of carries available, and he saw what Tyler Beatty did last year. I think you could see him in a very similar role to what Mizzou used with Tyler Beatty a year ago. He's not Beatty, but he's like 80% Beatty. He's really good, man. I'm very excited. 80 Beatty? <laughs> 80 Beatty. He's an 80 Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yes, no one is Tyler Beatty because that was a very unique circumstance. We The the yardage you know, the yardage is going gonna, is gonna to be what it's going to be. I'll just, whatever, I'll read it off to you. 79 rushes, 404 yards, three touchdowns. That's 5.1 per carry. Okay. Um, Tyler Beatty, obviously a record-breaking season for Missouri. Six yards per carry. Okay. How about this, though? Tyler Beatty, on runs on the outside, averaged 6.5 yards per carry. Those are exclusively yards that go off tackle. Nathaniel Pete, five yards per carry on the outside. Okay, okay. Now, Tyler Beatty going inside. Average 5.2 yards per carry. Nate Pete on the inside, 5.2 yards per carry. Ooh. Also against an eight-man box, Tyler Beatty averaged three yards per carry. Nathaniel Pete, 9.2. So one thing that you can really point to is that they probably run with the same style on the inside. Not like run you over, but like can take a hit and can keep going. Um you know, Tyler Beatty averaged like almost three yards uh, per carry before getting hit or contacted. Yeah, anyway. Stanford sucked. And so keep that in mind as well. Yeah. So like Pete was getting hit two yards, <laughs> two yards before contact. Uh, but when he did get hit, he went an extra three yards after that. Beatty was only averaging like, oh, I guess he was averaging three yards too. But like there's a lot of similarities here um, in build and in style. And like, look. No one's going to re replicate Tyler Beatty's season. But if you want to come close, like this is a dude who's got a very similar style and a very si similar build. Like it's not plug and play, but like this is about as close as you're going to get to to that, which is very exciting. Yeah. And you've got some depth pieces that I was already excited about what they could bring. And now you're telling me that they're going to be instead of your starter, like Elijah Young could be a change of pace guy and BJ Harris might be your short yardage back. And then you could potentially bring in Tavoris Jones as like this interesting hey maybe he could be our future type of running back this this is the perfect situation at the running back position i'm like super excited about what they have as their playmakers next year man i, I really am with adding luther burden and another year in the mix and hopefully a healthy version of mookie cooper and dominic lovett I think that they're going to be better at quarterback, to be totally honest with you. And then I just think Ryan Horskamp is going <laughs> yeah. to be exactly what they had last year at tight end. Nothing more, nothing less, probably. Mm. I think you've upgraded the offense from where you were a year ago. I really do. And, and I know that this, I, I understand I'm saying that, and you don't have Tyler Beatty on this offense, but I think they're going to be less reliant on their running back this year than they had to be a year ago. That was out of necessity, not because they necessarily wanted to. Exactly. And now you've got guys on the outside that can relieve some of that pressure. So if you can get, let's say it's 70% of Tyler Beatty from all of those running backs, not just Nathaniel Pete, and then you can exceed significantly what you got out of your receivers a year ago because you've upgraded the talent by such a significant degree, 
oh boy, now, now we're talking about an offense that's really interesting going into 2022. Yeah, you you don't want to have to do 2021 Tyler Beatty every year because that that means your offense is not good. <laughs> and by the way, your quarterback can move, like oh, actually move this year. Imagine that. Imagine regardless that. of who it is, whether it's Cook, Macon, or Horn, he's gonna have athleticism. So absolutely, uh, yeah, I think there's real reason for optimism about this offense going into this year. That doesn't mean it's gonna be top 25 in the country, but no. you've got a real, you've got. If you're a Mizzou fan right now, you should be excited about what you're potentially building with this offensive depth chart. It should be more holistic. Like more of the books should be available. They can do more things in the passing game. They can do more things in you know zone raids and quarterback sneaks and stuff like that. Like you can do more. You should be able to flip a few more pages than what you were doing last year, which was just Tyler Beatty left, Tyler Beatty right. So, yes, it might not be as good at the running back position, but it's just going to be an upgrade across the board, which is very exciting. Um, right. But to my point before that, this is just kind of it's a product of the modern college football game with the free time, you know, free transfers at least one time, NIL kind of being a a new thing to manage, a new thing to to use as far as a recruiting ship goes. I'm not sure when you can accurately grade a roster. And a lot of that's kind of like, you know, the preseason mags is like, oh, you know, this this team's bringing back X, Y, and Z. They're adding, you know, A, B, and C. And, you know, that that's part of it too. But like just from managing your your scholarships and knowing what to look for it's it's tougher to figure out what your team is at any given point because anyone can transfer at any point and you could have a a huge rash here of people leaving or a huge influx there of people coming in and it's just unless you keep you know to the minute updates on scholarship counts which by the way i do um it's tough to figure out when your team is shopping and and can add people or are they if they are done and so it makes it tough to kind of like get excited, you know, when you're like, oh, well, I know this team's going to be this, or I know this team's going to be that. It's it's kind of thrown the offseason out of whack for a little bit. It's just, it's not a good thing or a bad thing, because guess what? Player, player agency is a good thing. It's just different, and I'm having a tougher time kind of adapting to it than I anticipated. It's nearly impossible, man. Trying to figure out who has what kind of eligibility remaining, like it's good luck. It It's really, really tough. Um, but the honest answer is they have as much eligibility basically as the coaches want them to have. And then we all know when their final true year of eligibility is. That's like the only thing that we know when they are like bear banister. He's done. This is it. He can't come back again after 2022. Uh, he's going to be done with his eligibility. Rallis George Hopper, who's been in college for 27 years, been key. Those guys done after this year. Otherwise, I don't know, man. I I think most of them will, will just figure this out as we kind of go along together. And I, you know, I, I have heard anecdotal evidence from various assistant coaches and people who talk to the media. And there's a lot of them that really, it's not that they hate the transfer portal. They hate what it means for their workload, which again, boohoo, when the millionaires are complaining about having to work. Okay. That aside, there's one story that I heard, which is insane to me where an assistant coach, he was a position coach at a power five school. He had to cut his recruiting trip short because he had to come back to campus and talk face-to-face to one of his players who was considering transferring. Which at that point, you're like, what are we doing here? Like, you're, you're trying to add players to your team for the future and you have to come back and 
basically re-recruit the guys that you already have, um, which is unique and different and, and just another thing to manage. But at the same time, it's, it might, it might be a good thing in the long run from a, from a player agency standpoint, obviously, you know, there is a, uh, there is a former Wyoming player who went on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago who said that this was a good thing for the players because uh, now they couldn't just feed you a spoonful of BS and then tuck you away in a corner and forget about you. Like you got to actually follow through on your promises and you got to actually do what you say you're going to do when you bring them onto campus. Um, that is obviously that is a good thing. Holding people accountable is a good thing, but it does bring up an interesting fact of like, look, not only do you have to recruit the future, but you have to recruit the present. You got to make sure that you follow through on your promises, that you do exactly what you say you're going to do. And you give these kids a chance when you say you're going to give them a chance. So it's tougher. It's different. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I also don't think that players are going to sit back and take, you know, feeling like they're being disrespected by someone who lied to their face. Like, no, you should go somewhere else. You just hope that your favorite coaches, which in this case happens to be the drink with staff are not, you know, just promising pie in the sky stuff and then forgetting to follow through on their promises and that they can actually recruit these kids the right way and keep them on board. But you know what? There's always going to be losses and this is just, this is just part of it. Yeah. And, and the downside of course, like to, to everything you just said, if I was going to say the flip is it's Makai Wingo who said publicly the drink with staff did everything that I asked of them. And he still decided to end up transferring elsewhere. And this is not a shot at Makai. It's just, you know, it, you can do everything right. And it still ends up being a situation where you lose one of your best players from your roster who you were really counting on for your future plans. And that can make things really difficult. And again, woe is me tough life. These guys are making six or seven figures, depending on which assistant or head coach we're talking about. Uh, you don't feel bad for them. I get that. I I'm not asking you to feel bad for these, these coaches. However, a lot of the guys that are having to deal with this are people that, uh, frankly, a lot of fans don't know their names because they're <laughs> grad assistants yeah. or they're recruiting specialists or they're working in the recruiting offices and they've got to figure out how to deal with all of this stuff and ma manage the roster and make sure that everything works accordingly. So it does suck for them. And the, the, the thing that really sucks for the coaches is there's just no schedule anymore. There used to no. be like February is your signing period. And then you could like go on a vacation for a week if you wanted to before you started uh, spring practice or mm. in, the, in the yeah the middle of the summer. There's a dead period and you could just, you know, like go to the Lake of the Ozarks if you're Eli Drinkwitz and not have to worry about your phone. And now like Eli Drinkwitz tweeted the other day that he was I think it was at like a Chiefs game. It's like a couple of weeks ago now. And I was like, damn, is, is that a risky move for him to go there? <laughs> like, What if somebody yeah. says they want to transfer right now? Like, are you yeah. are you going to be able to take that call? I've been to Chiefs games. You don't have great service no. at Arrowhead Stadium. No, you do not. So it's just like th that sucks, man. And I, I know that he makes a ton of money and that's the life that he signed up for. But it's just a really difficult job right now. And I would understand any coach that was like, man, this sucks. I don't want to do this city award just because of the work hours. <laughs> Yeah, there there has been a push uh, or you know, a movement from the coaching side of the sport that wants um, what are the words the the transfer portal like a time a window right you can transfer between this date and this date and outside of that date you you, you can still transfer we're not going to stop you but you can't 
you can't go through with it. You got to stick with the team or you got, you know, you can't make it official yet. Um, and from what I understand that that's just not going to be possible. That implementing a transfer window is not possible. You could do that for recruiting because you are bringing in high school kids who are not part of your team. You can dic- you know, NCAA can dictate when high schoolers come to college campuses. They cannot dictate when college players do something because guess what? A normal college student is not told when they can transfer. And yes, the NCAA has been getting its ass handed to it in court time and time again. We're just chip and chip, chip, chipping away at everything that the NCAA stands for. But the, the, the hill they're going to die on, the last fortress of the NCAA is players are not employees. And if you trot out a transfer window saying when you can leave school, any attorney worth their salt is going to jump on that as a basically a non-compete clause. And they're going to say non-competes are only for employees. Is that what you're saying? So the NCAA is not going to enforce something like that. I think you could see in the future, like, um, you know, how like high school, high school kids have to sign a uh, letter of intent. I think you could see that for transfers to like make it official and make sure that they don't renege on their promise to transfer to that school. But other than that, I think this is just how it's going to be for the foreseeable future, unless the employment status of college or college athletes uh, somehow magically changes in the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. And we know that's not going to happen. The only thing that I could maybe see is you end up having like, they, they figure out something with the signing periods for high school players. That, that's something that coaches I know are working towards right now. And maybe you have, whether it be yeah. a summer signing period, like end of summer, I, I don't know exactly how they're going to be able to make this work, but I, there are a million different ideas that they would like to have implemented. And it seems like all of the ones that are common sense don't end up going into account. <laughs> and the ones that don't make a whole lot of sense for everybody that's not intimately involved, they all seem to go through. So yeah. uh, it's confusing to me, but thus is life in college football. I, I think the big sentiment is just remove early signing day. I don't know if, I mean, Genie's out of the bottle now. I don't know if that they will do that, but I know that's the the favorite proposal as of now. So we will we'll figure it out in the future. Speaking of coaches, there has been some coach attrition. God, so much happened when you stopped podcasting for three weeks. Hmm. Um, let's go through what happened. Obviously, we 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 discussed Casey Woods leaving at the beginning of December. Still very sad about that, but congrats to him for being SMU's offensive coordinator. Kind of an interesting one here. Uh, so for, for the past two seasons, we've had Eli Drinkwitz being his own offensive coordinator, Bush Hamden being both quarterbacks and wide receivers coach. You had Casey Woods as, as tight ends, Marcus Johnson as offensive line. And then on the defensive side, you had a line coach, a linebacker coach, and then a cornerbacks, defensive backs, and a secondary coach. Um, Really, really want to make sure that the, the five guys in the backfield are really coached up super well. Uh, so here's what changed. Charlie Harbison is, is stepping away as defensive backs coach. Um, publicly, he is saying that there's kind of a family situation um, back, back home, which is not in Columbia. And so he is going to kind of take back on his responsibilities. He's still on staff. He's just not going to be coaching defensive backs. He's also like 63 years old, I want to say. So not, not the youngest guy. But then also Aaron Fletcher left and um, he coached the corners. Now, obviously he was brought on 
from Tulsa. And oh, we just also happened to bring in Ellie Green and Caleb Evans. Um, but both Harbison and Fletcher are gone. Steve Wilkes, also a secondary guy, obviously had uh, a lot of coaching opportunities for the secondary specifically. Um, so they stepped down. Now, Al Davis, which was a defensive analyst, he got promoted to defensive line coach during the season. He His official title now is uh, interior defensive line coach, so defensive tackles. They then hired Kevin Peoples from Indiana to coach the defensive line, the edge rushers, the defensive ends. And then they brought in Jacob Peeler uh, to coach wide receivers. So you go from like four dudes doing the entire offense <laughs> to like an actual receivers coach, an actual quarterbacks coach. And you go from three dudes coaching one position to currently none and two guys coaching the defensive line. Very odd division of labor here. But what what did you think of the of any of these individual hires and any of them stand out? And what's your take on the on the staff uh, as it's currently situated? So I like the staff as it's currently constructed. It it, it seems to me like they, they might have even upgraded in, in some regard. Like Jacob Peeler is a really interesting guy to me. Uh, after what he did at Ole Miss, and he's taking a receiver's job after being at Texas State, I, I'm really interested to see what he's able to do at that spot. And if you were going to have a guy that is known as being a developer of receivers anywhere on the, or a dev- developer of players rather, anywhere on the roster, wide receiver is where I would want that guy to be. So that's really interesting to me. Uh, you look at what Kevin Peoples has done in his history. Uh, that's also super interesting to me. And everything that I have heard is that he's uh, super well respected within the industry. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm excited about what they were able to add on their coaching staff. I like the fact that you've got Hamden moving to the quarterback spot. I like, like that they that. have an yeah. interior defensive line and an edge coach now because those positions are so unbelievably different. I do think it is worthwhile to have a different coach for either of those two spots. So I like the way that they divvied up these positions. And I also like that DJ Smith is now your recruiting coordinator because it seems like he's one of the top guys on the staff when it comes to what they've been able to do on the trail. Super likable. He's a guy that I think has a future as a defensive coordinator, whether it's here or elsewhere. And I like that he's got that recording recruiting coordinator title now as well. So I, I think it's great that we have broken up quarterbacks and receivers. Obviously it's the passing game. Like you, you're going to be talking to those same guys kind of no matter which of those positions you coach, but it's nice to have someone, like you said, who can focus on development. Uh, Peeler, you know, from his, uh, from his experience, the big one that stands out is Ole Miss. And he coached uh, DK Metcalf. Um, oh God. Who's the giant? AJ Brown. Yes, A.J. Brown. <laughs> Giant receiver. You knew exactly who I was talking about. See, this is why we worked well together. Um, <laughs> that Ole Miss receiving core from like 18-19, which was unstoppable, despite the fact they only won nine games. Um, they're all in the NFL. Like those, He coached those guys. Now, he didn't recruit them, but he did coach them, which is kind of like his calling card. Um, Peoples is an interesting hire. He, the schools that he's worked at, like Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, UAB, Tulane, Indiana. Like the best defense he's been a part of was probably Arkansas's in 2011. And other than that, all these defenses have been like 
not great. <laughs> the next best one would be Indiana's from last year. Sorry, 2020 last year, uh, which ranked 32nd in SP plus and had pretty disruptive defensive line. But for the most part, he's kind of more, he is an underdog kind of coach, right? Uh, Northwestern state, Arkansas state, UAB, Georgia Southern, like I said, Tulane. Um, so his recruiting, I don't know. He hasn't really had to be much of a recruiter or like, he just kind of finds some. Seems like that's what Al Davis is for. <laughs> Yeah, Al Davis, DJ, you know, like you want those guys to be doing that. You want him to be developing the talent. So it's not quite there. Here is my interesting thing with uh, with Jacob Peeler. And I don't know where he's, what territory or what players he's going to be assigned. We've talked about Texas State on this show before. Specifically, Texas State's decision in their 2021 recruiting class to recruit one high school kid, Uno, and then fill the rest of their roster with transfers. Interesting take, bold decision. The blowback from that is that the Texas High School Football Coach Association hates Texas State, hates them. And Mr. Peeler was the offense coordinator for the Bobcats for the past two years. So I don't know what his individual reputation is in Texas. I don't know if Drinkwitz is going to put him on a plane and send him to Dallas. Probably not, if I had to guess. Um, but I don't think he's going to be looking at any Texas boys anytime soon because he's kind of persona non grata uh, with one of the most influential coaching associations in the country, let alone in the state. So I'll be really curious to see where what kind of guys he goes after and what his recruiting is like because he's basically spent the past two years uh, only courting dudes from the transfer portal, which is not exactly what Drinkwitz wants his guys to do. It's not, but they also are s- kind of stacked at wide receiver right now, so that also they helps. <laughs> like, yeah. if you're going to have that at any position and be there, love it, Cooper, Hester, Looper, Burden, Miller, Wayne, that's a good sp- start to the position. And mm-hmm. you've got enough receivers in the state of Missouri and elsewhere that maybe you can get away with that for at least a little while while he yeah. kind of repairs and uh, patches over some of those relationships. I also mm-hmm. think some of that is like, hey, you guys went a weird path. What happened there? You could get into a room together hash it out over a few beers you're good to go right <laughs> um so i i think that kind of stuff can sometimes be a bit overblown that being said i it's a unique way to look at roster management right yeah. Yeah. and i do think it is interesting to me and this may just be coincidence but the fact that eli drinkwitz decided to bring on casey woods who had the experience at uab mm-hmm. and then when casey woods leaves he's got a guy now on the staff who had the experience at uh texas state i I don't know that that's a total coincidence. I I think having different people in the room that have different experiences with roster management can be a good thing. So maybe there is some of that that he wanted in the room as well. The other thing that kind of stood out, and and I think part of this is the gift slash curse of being a Missouri fan during the Gary Pinkle years. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the coaching staff churn here real quick before we get out of here. Um, Gary Pinkle was notorious for his loyalty to his staff. He would give you chance after chance, as long as you were doing your job, like as he told you to do it, he would give you a lot of chances to get it right. And so there was not a lot of turnover really from 2001 when he was hired till 2008 when, you know, his greatest team started graduating. You didn't really see any guys leave. You didn't see a lot of coaching turnover. That's a, that's a testament to, you know, Gary Pinkle as a, as a, as a mentor, as a leader, as a head coach, all that stuff. 
so I think we as Missouri fans are a little bit spoiled and maybe have a, an odd view of coaching turnover. Because uh, most programs see a lot of it. Successful programs, not successful play- programs, you just see a lot of guys move. Um, is there any part of you, well, you know, that was the windup, is there any part of you that's concerned with the defection so far? I mean, we've if you look at the Drinkwood staff as it was first constructed, uh, when he came in, uh, his first staff, we have seen Ryan Walters leave. We have seen Casey Woods leave. And uh, I guess we've seen Jethro Franklin get fired. David Gibbs go. Aaron Fletcher go. Like, it's it's a noticeable amount of dudes leaving. Is this something to be said about Drinkwitz himself? Or is this just more of a statement on this is kind of how the industry works? I think mostly the latter. To your point on Gary Pinkle, by the way, uh, I wanted to mention like the 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 poster child of this in my mind, and it is Matt Eberflus, who is now a legit NFL coaching candidate. Um, now the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, likely to be a head coach somewhere else later on this offseason. Matt Eberflus was a college football player at Toledo starting in 1988. In 1992, he became a student assistant. 93, he was a grad assistant. 94, he became a recruiting coordinator and started working at outside with the outside linebackers, all at Toledo, by the way. Mm-hmm. 96, he became the full-time outside linebackers coach. 2000, again, still at Toledo, defensive backs coach, all under Gary Pinkle while playing under Gary Pinkle. Then he comes with Pinkle to Mizzou as their defensive coordinator from 2001 to 2008. So he was either playing for or coaching with Gary Pinkle from 1988 all the way through 2008. That is unheard of. It doesn't exist in modern college football. These guys are mercenaries who come in and they want to get the best job possible for a short a period of time before they can get the next best job possible. So that's that's what college football is now. Matt Eberflus is what it was previously, specifically under Gary Pinkle. And to answer your question, do I think Eli Drinkwitz is difficult to work with? Yes, I do. I think there is some of that. I also think it is worth noting that most of the turnover has taken place on the defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. You look at what he has on offense, which is what Eli Drinkwitz is most directly related with. He's had Curtis Looper with him since he came over. He's had Bush Hamden with him since the original staff here at Mizzou. Marcus Johnson is the second O-line coach that he's had. The other one got a really good job elsewhere. So, like, it's not as if he is turning over all of these stones offensively with the guys that are most closely working with him. So if it was that, if it was the opposite of what it actually is, where, like, the defensive staff was super stable and all of the guys that directly reported to Eli Drinkwitz offensively were all like, yo, this guy is crazy. I don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) That would be much more problematic to me. But the fact that it's the side of the ball that he's not most directly uh, with, that gives me a little less concern. Yeah, I get that. I think uh, another aspect to this is that I think just based off of what Missouri has been doing, and the type of person that you see Eli Drinkwitz in, in person, I think he is a dogged recruiter. Mm-hmm. And I am pretty sure that he is borderline obnoxious micromanager of your recruiting. And if you can't do it, 
then he is he is either going to manage you to do it or manage you to get out. Um, so I, I don't think the losses mean that they weren't good recruiters. I just think there can be a situation where maybe you come from you know a G five or a, a power five school that recruits but doesn't you know isn't as aggressive in it and you come here and you go oh damn uh yeah this sucks i don't want to have to be texting 18 year olds at 11 o'clock at night i don't want to have to sit in front of every all of my peers and say here's who i called here's who i texted here are all my phone logs like i don't want to do that there there are coaches out there who don't want to do that and they'll find somewhere else to go so don't think that being difficult to work for is a bad thing sometimes being difficult to work for means that you are just demanding for the best uh, Nick Saban will take care of you as long as you are doing everything he asks. And he asks a lot. He has a lot more of his coaching staff than he does of his players. And he tears up his players. So it is just one of those things. And I think Eli's probably, yeah, a bulldog in the recruiting trail. And sometimes that's, that's not what all coaches want to do. And by the way, I said that he had two offensive line coaches, just the one. I forgot Marcus Johnson was on his original staff here at Mizzou. So it's basically, am I right on this? The only guy that's left offensively is Casey Woods. Yeah. And he got an offensive coordinator job. Yeah. So like I, it's hard for me to be critical when the only guy that worked most directly with you that you had on your original staff left because he got an OC job at SMU. And that's like a job you just have to take if you're Casey Woods. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you. I, I think that there are probably guys on the staff that didn't want to deal with some of the things that he probably is very almost paranoid with with the recruiting side of things um but that being said it's hard for me to be critical of that when we've been waiting our entire lives to have a coach like that when it comes to what they do recruiting wise you know if i'm gonna want them to have the best recruiting that they've ever had and the results show it's been exactly that well this is kind of what it takes you've got to be a maniac on the recruiting trail to be able to get these kinds of results and They've been that so far. I mean, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, four stars and a five star committed to them in the 2022 class. I would say what they're doing is working so far. <laughs> I would say so, too. Uh, last last bit of news here real quick. If you didn't see it, uh, Rivals finalized their national recruiting uh, today, I think. So, like, it's the numbers for the national ranks aren't going to change anymore. Our boy DJ Westlack is now a four star again after showing out at the All American Bowl. So um, good for for uh, DJ there. But yeah, this is this is what we've been waiting for, right? Getting St. Louis, Kansas City prospects, Missouri prospects coming in, getting some higher ranked dudes. This this is it. the the uh, The trade off for that is that uh, you're gonna run your assistants ragged on the recruiting trail. It's gonna push some away, but uh, guess what? You're gonna find some guys who are willing to do it. And since recruiting is the most important part of college football, that's a fine thing. Whew. This is a long one, even for us. You know, two SOBs, you talk too much. Um, huh. How you doing, man? You feeling good? I feel good, man. I, I'm very excited about what spring ball is going to have to offer. I, I do think yeah. this is a rare year where there's actually stuff to learn about the team in spring ball. Like, I mean, obviously the number one storyline going into camp is going to be the quarterback situation. And I would have to imagine that cook will be the starter going into camp, but mm-hmm. just in general, I, I think there's a number of positions where like, we legitimately don't know who's going to be listed as the starter on the first day of camp. So I, we'll obviously go through all of that as we get closer and closer to spring ball, but there's a lot to learn, and this is a really interesting team. We're now getting closer to the time when Mizzou needs to start winning 
uh, which means that the <laughs> yeah. spring ball stuff is going to start mattering more. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I fully appreciate and recognize that I'm a weirdo because I love the process of getting good, probably even more than being good itself as a football team. But uh, this, this is the stuff I love. You know, I, now I love recruiting. Now I love roster building. Now I love tracking these guys and how they develop and what the staff's doing and all the schematic stuff and the hires. Like it, this is, this is fun. Um, hopefully the wins come with it, but uh, you know, if they don't, we'll just get to start all over again, but uh, we'll talk about that more later on uh, for now. That's going to be our show. Again, this is the end of the first show of uh, our most recent season, the 2022 season. Very exciting stuff. We will be here all year. Uh, bringing you all the good Missouri football stuff that you could possibly ask for. But uh, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions from you guys. Go ahead and leave a comment. <clears throat> rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt Nietzsche Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Uh, and of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation, and you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm Z. Z-O-U.